I have something I want to share with you this morning. In case you haven't noticed, we're living in a changing world. It's a time of uncertainty. A time of changing. A time of shifting. It seems as if actually nothing is permanent. Do you remember, most of us in here would, how at this time of the year, once upon a time, how we looked forward to the Sears Roebuck wish book? Did you ever think that there would ever come a time when you couldn't open the wish book at Christmas time and you couldn't go to Sears and shop? You know, once upon a time, the Sears catalog was the most published and distributed book in the United States of America with the exception of one book, and that was the Bible. At their peak... Sears had 3,500 stores across the nation. Today there are 12. The last time they published the wish book was 2011. Or growing up when you would go to Woolworths or Perry Brothers or a place like that or a Rexall drugstore, did you ever think the time would come you couldn't go to one of those places? Or you think about changing times, go back and look at some pictures from the 70s and look at some of the clothes we wore then. Some of them were just, hideous is actually the only word that can describe some of the things we wore in the 70s. And yet these are just changes in our lifetime. And I think about what it was like to visit with my grandfather. He talked about when the family left one foreign country to go to another foreign country in the old times. They left Arkansas and moved to Oklahoma. And they went in a wagon pulled by a team of horses. And in his lifetime, he rode and drove cars and rode a train, a bus, and flew on a jet airplane and actually lived and saw men land on the moon. And all of us could tell similar stories of our relatives. But let's go back and look a little further back even than that. Let's think about what this world was like and this world as it existed when Jesus Christ was born. The most powerful nation on the earth was Rome. And like they say, you know, they say there will always be in England. There's even a song about that. Well, like that, they always, they said, well, there will always be a Rome. Guess what? There wasn't. When you realize the many changes in society and in our world since the New Testament was written, it often causes us to wonder about the Bible and the gospel of Christ and whether or not the gospel is still relevant to men and women in our modern world. Is the Bible relevant or is it out of date for modern men and modern women in this age we're living in? 
Does the gospel need to be revised? Does it need to be updated? Does it need to be made new and more modern? Does the gospel of Christ need to be changed so it could be more relevant to the 21st century? Do we need a new gospel for a new age? You know, Paul would write to the church at Rome in Romans 1.16, and Paul would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why not, Paul? For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And yet, since so many other things are new, why not have a new gospel? Let's face the cold, hard facts. Life is different than it was when Jesus walked on this earth in the flesh. This world's a different place than it was when Paul was writing his epistles. And so since so many other things have changed, why not have a new gospel? And if we can't have a totally new gospel, at least maybe let's have a revised or an updated gospel. Let's change the ancient methods of the New Testament. Let's keep pace with the times. I see a trend in that direction when I Look at the website of some churches. I see them advertise their services on Sunday mornings. Now, admittedly, they're bigger than we are. But I'll see churches that will advertise three different services on Sunday morning. They'll have the traditional service. Then they'll have the praise service. And then they'll have the contemporary service. And yet when I read the book of Acts, I don't find any differentiations of that kind in the church of the first century. When I see some of the things going on in the religious world today, when I see some of the things being done by people in the name of religion and in the name of Christianity, it often makes me just almost literally sick to my stomach. Because you go all over this country of ours and you look at religious groups, you look at churches, and you see people, churches, accepting all kinds and all manner of deviant sin with the perverted concept, well, we've got to accept them in the Spirit of Jesus because Jesus was loving and Jesus was accepting. He was loving. He was accepting. And you hear them say, well, Jesus just accepted people as they were. What they fail to mention. When they say that Jesus loved people and Jesus accepted people, and accepting those who are in sin is the Spirit of Jesus, they fail to mention that Jesus accepted them on the condition that they repent of sin. Jesus loved the sinner Jesus hated the sin. And while loving the sinner and hating the sin, Jesus Christ demanded repentance. Then Jesus Christ demands repentance today. You remember that morning when the Pharisees brought that woman and threw her down at the feet of Jesus? They drug us through the streets of the city in shame. They said, Master, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act 
the law says we should stone her, what do you say? <clears throat> Jesus said, well, the one that's without sin among you, let him throw the first stone. And one by one, in the order of their age, they dropped their stones to the pavement. pavement and they left. And Jesus looked at the woman at his feet. He said, woman, where are your, your accusers? Does no man condemn you? She said, no man, Lord. He said, well, neither do I condemn you. You just go on about your business and do what you've been doing. No, he didn't. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. What about Zacchaeus, that tax collector? He was the chief publican over his district. And Jesus went home with him one day. And after Jesus went home with Zacchaeus, and they talked, I don't know what was said. I wish that Dr. Luke had recorded the conversation for us. I would love to know just what Jesus said to Zacchaeus that day. But whatever he said, it changed his heart and changed his life. Because Zacchaeus said, Lord, I'm going to give half of my goods to feed the poor. And if I have taken anything wrongfully from any man, I'm going to restore it back to him fourfold. And that, beloved, is repentance in any language. And yet you have religious groups all over this country. You have churches accepting all manner of sin without any repentance whatsoever. For example, not too long ago there was a church in Katy, Texas. They hosted a drag pride bingo night. And people dressed in drag. People paid to play bingo. And they used the proceeds of Pride Bingo Night as a fundraiser to raise money for youth that wanted to transgender. What could be more foreign to the Word of God than that? There was a church in Fort Worth. There's, one in, there's a church in Fort Worth right now. I can take you to their website. And they are offering out-of-state travel grants because the state of Texas has passed a law prohibiting gender transition surgery. This particular church offers out-of-state travel grants to boys and girls, children who want to go out-of-state and have gender transition surgery. You see churches in a mad rush to openly embrace Members of the LGBTQ community. And that's a noble goal. It's a noble undertaking. It's a wonderful thing to reach out to people that are lost and people that are in sin. But these churches, for the most part, reaching out to the LGBTQ community are not preaching a gospel of repentance. It's a noble goal to reach out to those that are lost. But it is cruel and it is unchristian to not demand repentance and preach the full gospel to those who are lost in sin. Beloved, it's imperative we preach the whole counsel of God. When Paul called the elders of the church at Ephesus together, 
When He called them to Him at Miletus, He said, I'm free from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. It's imperative for us to preach the whole counsel of God. And in preaching the whole counsel of God, we have to tell of the Jesus Christ who loved the sinner, hated the sin, and demanded repentance. To preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to leave out repentance. Beloved, let me say as kindly and as emphatically as I know how, that is to pervert the gospel. That is a failure to tell the whole story. And it's tantamount to preaching a new gospel. When Paul wrote his letter to the churches of the region of Galatia, there were false teachers in that region who were preaching a new gospel. They were perverting the gospel of Christ. Here's what Paul had to say in Galatians chapter 1 and verses 6 through 8. He said, I marvel. You are so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. That's the way it reads in the King James Version. Here's Philip's translation. I'm amazed that you have so quickly transferred your allegiance from him who called you in the grace of Christ to another gospel. Not, of course, that it is or ever could be another gospel. But there are obviously men who are upsetting your faith with a travesty of the gospel of Christ. Yet I say that if I or an angel from heaven were to preach to you any other gospel than the one you've heard, may he be damned. I want us for a few moments to consider if the gospel needs to be changed. Does it need to be revised and updated to meet the needs of modern men and women? And yet as we consider that, there's something more important. A more important question to ask. Did the ancient gospel, did the gospel of the first century, did it meet the needs of ancient men and ancient women? Jesus Himself relied on the ancient gospel. After Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan River, He fasted 40 days and 40 nights. He was afterward hungered. And He went out all alone in the wilderness. And He met the arch enemy of mankind, the devil Himself. He met Him. They met Satan in hand-to-hand combat. And every temptation known to His satanic majesty was thrown at Jesus Christ. He was hungry. And Jesus' defense was perfect. And when He answered the devil, Jesus relied on the Bible of His day. Jesus having fasted and being hungry, there were some stones there. And the devil says, If you're really the Son of God, command these stones be made bread. And Jesus said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God 
That was a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. Then the devil took him up to a high pinnacle of the temple. He said, if you're truly the Son of God, cast yourself down. It's written, He'll give His angels charge concerning thee, lest at any time you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. That's a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. So then the devil took him to a high mountain, showed him all the nations of the earth, and said, I'll give you all of this if you'll fall down and worship me. And Jesus said, It is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. A quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. Jesus relied on the ancient gospel. The ancient gospel, the gospel of the first century, the gospel we preach, changed lives. The teachings of Jesus Christ changed the lives and the dispositions of His disciples. When they were called into the service of Jesus, they were ordinary men coming from ordinary walks of life. And they were all afflicted with the uncleanness that sin produces. But they drank deeply from the teachings of Jesus. And in John chapter 15, verse 3, Jesus pronounced them clean. He said, now you're clean by the words which I've spoken to you. You remember John? Do you recall what John's nickname was? He had such a violent temper, John was nicknamed the Son of Thunder. He actually wanted to come bring fire down from heaven and destroy a Samaritan village one time because they didn't offer the proper respect to Jesus. That's in Luke chapter 9. But the Word of Christ entered the heart of John. The Word of Christ changed the life of John and the Son of Thunder became known as the disciple of love. Or what about the fickle Simon Peter? Big, impulsive, raw-boned Simon Peter. A man that wavered, that vacillated from one extreme to another. The Word of Jesus made him a stone-like character who could face a mob that cried for his life and stand firm for the gospel truth that changed his life. This was a man that once had denied Jesus rather than face criticism. But the power of the gospel changed his life. And tradition tells us that later he would submit to the horrors of a head downward crucifixion. Stating he was not worthy to be crucified in the same way that his Lord was crucified. Or what about those that were changed on the day of Pentecost after the resurrection of Jesus. Assembled that day in Jerusalem were men and women out of every nation under heaven. It was a vast and large, vast audience. In that group were men and women as hardened as you could find anywhere. There were those there who had voted for the release of a robber in preference to Jesus. There were those in that audience that had lied and committed perjury on the Son of God in court. There were those who had joined in the chant of the inflamed and indignant mob before Pilate's court as they declared, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! There were those there who had beaten the innocent back of the Son of God until the blood flowed down. There were those there who had spit in His face and placed a crown of thorns on His head. 
assembled that day were some who had actually enjoyed his humiliating march to Golgotha and who had actually rejoiced when he collapsed under the weight of the cross. In that audience on Pentecost were people who had either directly or indirectly driven the nails through his hands and the spike through his feet. They'd laughed, they'd mocked, they'd scorned while Jesus died. And to that kind of audience of ancient men and women, the ancient gospel was preached. And at the end of the sermon, they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? The ancient gospel changed lives. And it sustained men and women beneath their burdens. It gave them hope in the hour of death. As Paul was facing the executioner, he would write to young timid Timothy and say, I'm now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. The God, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day, and not me only, but all them that love is appearing. That's in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6-8. through 8. There was no need experienced by ancient men and women that was not met by the ancient gospel. Remember the words of Jesus to the disciples before He went away. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto Myself that where I am, there you may be also. But here's the question. Does the ancient gospel meet the needs of modern men and modern women? Have men and women changed? Human nature has not been altered, beloved. Peter and Paul are modern men. Men and women today are made of the same kind of stuff they were made of in ancient times. And their hungers, their thirsts, and their fleshly impulses are the same today they were 2,000 years ago. And therefore their needs are the same. Does anyone argue or contend that because we live in a different time and a modern age, we need a new sunshine or a new and different air than that enjoyed by ancient men and women? Humanity today doesn't have any need of a creation of a new sun or a new moon or new stars, do they? The moral and spiritual nature of people is the same. People today have the same desires, the same impulses, the same inclinations that people had in ancient times. And just as the gospel of Jesus Christ met the needs of men and women in ancient times, it will meet the needs of men and women in the 21st century. Well, if men and women haven't changed, has the world around men and women changed since the first century? The veneer has changed, no doubt. But though the veneer has changed, men and women are still the same at heart. People still kill and steal and rob and pray on their fellow man for gain, just like they did in the first century. And the same motives that led to those kind of crimes then are the same motives that 
lead to those crimes today. Paul wrote to the ancient world. And he said to, in writing 1 Timothy, he said, The love of money is the root of all evil. And that truth is just as new as today's sunshine or yesterday's rain clouds. The world hasn't changed. The nature of temptation hasn't changed. John told us that there were three avenues of temptation. First John chapter 2, he said, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, it's of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The appetites of men and women... The lust of the flesh play as prominent a part in the world of sin today as they did the day of Jesus. Sins that arise out of man's view of the unholy, the lust of the eye, are as prevalent today as they were 2,000 years ago. Pride, ambition, the desire for self-exaltation, it still produces the same old sin and sorrow. The world about us may have changed its dress and the world around us may present itself in brighter colors, but the world is the same at heart as the world in which ancient men and women lived. Well, the disease, maybe it's changed. No, it hasn't. Sin is the disease. And sin is unchanged. You know, sometimes a disease will morph itself or alter itself. And if the disease is altered and has become immune to the remedy, then maybe a new drug has to be developed. But, but sin is still the same as it was 2,000 years ago. Sin is just as vicious, just as blighting, just as degrading as it ever was. And no new sin, there has been no new sin added to the catalog of sin in 2,000 years. If you think there's some new sin, go read Romans chapter 1, verses 24 through 32. I'm going to read it for you in the New American Standard Bible. I wanted to read it and I read it in Philip's translation, but actually Philip's translation was so very plain and almost graphic to the point that I felt it would probably have been improper for me to have read Philip's translation. But here's the New American Standard Version. Therefore God gave them up to vile impurity and the lust of their hearts, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a falsehood, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for the women exchange natural relations for that which is contrary to nature. And likewise the men too abandon natural relations with women and burn in their desire toward one another. Males with males committing shameful acts and receiving in their own person the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a depraved mind to do those things that are not proper. People having been filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, and evil, 
full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unfeeling, and unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice these things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but approve of those who practice them. Sin is the disease. And sin is unchanged. And there has been no new sin added to the catalog of sin. And not only are there no new sins, there are no old sins that have ceased to be practiced either. That's why we have to preach the full gospel, including repentance. That's why we must, as Paul told those elders from Ephesus, preach the whole counsel of God. The question we started with this morning was, do we need a new gospel? If the malady affecting men and women has not changed, then why would we change the remedy? If the gospel was the remedy for ancient man, the gospel is the remedy for ancient men and women, for current men and women in the modern age. The adversary hasn't changed. The devil today is the same devil Jesus met in the wilderness long ago. As Peter would tell us in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, he still goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Do we need a new gospel? No. We don't need a new gospel. What we need today is men and women conscientiously obeying the ancient Jerusalem gospel. We need people to live the kind of life that God wants them to live. We need people who are willing to make Jesus Christ the Lord and the Master of their lives. Let's be standing together now. I don't know the need of your life. I don't know what's going on in your life. But if we can help you make Jesus Lord and Master of your life, we invite you to come right now as we sing this song.